Okay, so just by way of quick review, um, if you remember, we spoke last class, well, I'll ask you. If we said there was one of the most important words when it came to Avram, and if you remember, we said we're going to be looking at these stories of the Avot um, from a so somewhat sort of superficial perspective. Superficial meaning, um, we're looking more structurally at what was going on, what they represent, the archetypes that the Avot serve as for us rather than sort of getting into the exegesis of the decisions they made, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but again, I will remind you, and I really, really do believe this, I think that sometimes the irony is, or the, the sort of counterintuitive effect is that the more superficially you approach these stories, the more profound their meaning, right? The more we can appreciate the Avot as archetypes and what they mean and why the stories about them were recorded in the way that they were, the more we understand um, how they resonate for us in terms of our identity as a nation. So I, wanted to, I do want to keep that in mind. So what was the most important word? We spoke last week about Avraham when we talked about binaries that are created between Avraham and his family, Lechacha, Meyartacha. What? Okay, chosenness. Who just, I keep hearing things, but who said it? Oh, okay. Chosenness or distinctness, right? We said that the concept of distinction or chosenness is really, in many ways, the idea that we're talking about. And we looked at the Ramban and we looked at the Midrash from Bereshit uh, in terms of this concept of chosenness from other and distinction from among the other pe members of his family and from the other nations. And we talked about really how this is going to be a major theme throughout Bereshit. So what I wanted to do now today, really, is back up a tiny bit. Because Avraham is, in fact, not the first to be chosen. Right? We're going to see there's a lot of choosing among the brothers. There's going to be Yitzchak and Ishmael. There's going to be Yaakov and Esau. The question of how the brothers of, a, of, of Yosef are going to be chosen or rejected is going to be a major, major theme. But what I wanted to ask you is which brothers? Avraham is not the first to be chosen in Breshit. Who is? So interesting. Everyone says that. Noah is for sure chosen from, that's true, Noah is chosen from humanity to survive, or I would even say, okay. go back to the very beginning. We have, there you go, we need our representatives from TVA up there. All right, we have a pair of brothers. We have Cain and Hebel. So everyone go back to Breshi, Perak Dalid. Now again, there are, we could spend half a semester on Cain and Hebel, and we could talk about the idea of sin, and we could talk about jealousy, and we could talk about the impetus for bringing Korban, and where the notion of sacrificing to deities or crumbs from. We're not doing any of that, right? Not because it's not important, but just because our focus in this course is a little bit different. What we want to do is look at the overall structure of the opposition between the brothers that is created, okay? We do not see a lot of explanations. It's a very sort of um, terse little account of what happened. We don't know why Havel chose to do what he did or why Cain did what he did. We also don't know what, most importantly, why God chooses. Okay? But let's look inside and just look very, very superficially at this original pair. Okay? And tell me what happened. Paragdalit, it says, But Tahar, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to put this on the board because etymology, can you see in the green or you want me to do black? Maybe we could uh, lobby, allocate some of the funds to a bigger way. Okay. What's the etymology of Kayan's name? So what's the whole sentence? Kayan is Kaniti Ish Et Hashem. Et in Tanakh can be a lot of different things, right? Here it's Im, right? Et Elohim Yitalech Noach means Noach walked with God. Kaniti Ish Et Hashem, Chava articulates, and we're going to see why the naming is important. Naming is going to be really um, the imprinting of the mother's experience onto the child, and that imprinting really shapes the identity of the child, or certainly as they appear to us as the archetype. So she says what? What's her experience of having a child? Okay, so it's a connection with God, but it's more than that. It's a partnership. What? Um, so it's not bought his favor so much as meaning obtained, right? I Kaniti is to I obtained a child with God or a human more than a child, right? A person with God. So there's something here, and it's a beautiful sentiment, right? There's a recognition that she and God together in tandem had right had this child, and there's something really really beautiful. We're going to see. Adam now altogether. 
Yeah, I'm gonna give her a little credit if we go. Yeah, but but I will give her a little bit of credit if we go back the whole childbirth arurata uh, issue of you're gonna have pain in childbirth. So we'll give her a little credit that she's sort of speaking to that process here. Let's let's give her that. So now, Hevel already is lacking what? An explanation. We don't know why he's named what he is. Hevel, we do know, means what? Nothing. Nothing, right? Hevel is sort of just nothingness. Hevel, temporary. Hevel, 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 Hevel. We're going to get to go Hevel, by the way, towards the end of the year, right? Hevel means sort of breath or nothingness, fleeting. Uh, and they choose, and we're going to get back to this topic when we get to Yaakov and Esav, but the two brothers already split off in what way? They choose different occupations, okay? And we're not going to now ascribe value to Oved Adama versus Roetzon, but we're going to see it's going to be a binary, right? And again, binaries are constructs, but it's going to be a binary that's going to come up again and again. So Kayan has this great idea, and again, where human sacrifice originates is a separate, maybe we'll do that for Yom Yun one time, but he decides to bring a gift to God. And again, just the pshat, we cannot now start to superimpose, oh, because he brought me Choroth, and he only brought me Priyadama, Hevel brought better... When we do that, what are we essentially trying to do? When we ascribe reason, what are we trying to do? Rationalize, Rationalize or explain why God accepted Hevel's and not Kayan's. But for now, we're not doing that. Okay? And again, on the shot level, because that's what we're always distinguishing, if the Torah actually had a reason, it would have given it to us. Right? God preferred that Hevel's was more, who knows, right? self-sacrificing. Vaisha Hashem el Hevel ve el Minchato ve el Kayin ve el Minchato lo Sha'a Vaichar le Kayin meod vaiflu panav, understandably. Vayomer Hashem el Kayin lama charalach ve lama naflu panach. And so God says, What are you so upset about? Why did your face fall? Hello, imtitiv se'et vim lo tetiv. And now he goes on, and we did this once, I think, a couple of years ago in Ayomiyun. We're not going to delve in now to what God is saying, but essentially he's talking about two things in this pasuk. He's speaking about free will. And he's also speaking about the idea that Cain and Hevel, which is really humanity, right, the Roetzon and the Oved Adama, are stronger when they work together and fill in for each other's inadequacies rather than trying to get rid of the person that is different from you. Okay, but we're going to put that on the side. If anyone wants, I can explain that better after class. Cain clearly did not internalize God's warning, and he kills him. Where is your brother? And A is the same language used with Adam, right? Ayeka. It's that rhetorical question which really does not mean where are you physically located in space. It means what the heck just happened. Sorry. Okay, now we're going to... Sorry. Vayomer, excuse me. Kayan answers. Okay, now... Put this on the side because rhetorical questions we're going to see in Tanakh is a very, very powerful literary tool for us, right? It's less about what the person said, and it's more the Tanakh's way of communicating to us, uh, yeah, you are, okay? Am I my brother's keeper? By leaving it as a rhetorical question like that, the Tanakh is being very, very clear about what the answer is. We're going to see it comes up. Give me another rhetorical question in Brishit. So that's Hashem's rhetorical question, but I'm saying rhetorical statements sort of made by people that become almost axioms. Okay, right? Hatachat Elohim Anochi. Okay, and there's another really important one which we're going to see because the idea of, of women as bartering chips is critical. What do the brothers of ya- What do the brothers of Dina say after Yaakov? Do we use Israelite women as bartering chips or as a means by which we expand our social network? All of these are very, very important question, questions that become really, really critical in our identity. So, which one? Ah, that's so interesting. That's really, really interesting. Hashem says it right before stone. That's very interesting. Do I hide anything? Huh, I like that. I have to think about why Hashem... I have to think about why Hashem actually says that there. It's really interesting. Okay. 
Now you all remember the exchange because we looked at it a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about that close interaction between man's mor morality and the land. And the land now, right again, remember, kind does not get punished. The land rejects him because he is acting as a less than human being by taking life. And so the land is no longer in that contract with him that was established in Gan Eden. And then look what happens, okay? verse 11. You're going to work the land, but it's not going to give you. Pasukid Gimel, verse 13. Now again, whether this is ironic or sarcastic or it's really an acknowledgement, we're going to put on the side. All we know is that Cain says, my sin is too great to bear. And he says, He's worried that what? I'm going to have to run. I'm going to have to hide from God's face. I'm going to be wandering because I'll never find enough food to sustain myself. What's he really worried about? Because that's sort of... I'm, I'm vulnerable. Why is he vulnerable? Because if you're wandering, then you are by definition what? You're a sh okay, so who said that? You're a stranger. What else are you? And we're going to talk about strangers and Israelite identity is critical. Right? We are originally strangers. You're ruthless. You're, you're never forming those networks. Right? You're never actually marrying your daughters to men from other clans so that if someone comes to attack your town, the other clan will come and defend you or will serve right, as a warning to other clans not to come and attack you, which is what everything in Tanakh is based on, the building up of these clans. Right? It's why we have Gulat Karka. It's why we have the mitzvot of Yibum and of all the other mitzvot that sort of develop strong networks. So he's nervous he's going to die. So what does Hashem say? Vayomer lo Hashem, lachin ken kol horag kayin, shivatayin yukam. And he says, vayasem Hashem lekayin ot livilti hakototo kol motzo. So what does God do for Kayin to, to give him a sense of security? He puts a sign on him that what? And if you do, if someone kills him, he will be punished sevenfold. You know, again, practically what this looked like, how it played out, all separate questions, okay? But what we see is the first murderer in history, whether or not he could be called a murderer because whether or not he knew murder was wrong, also a separate question. He took life, and now he's nervous that he is going to be vulnerable, and so God gives him a sign that anyone who hurts him, shivatayim yukam, sevenfold. Okay, so he goes, and of course we know the significance of East versus West in Rishi. Okay. Who do we have? Who are the two brothers? Right, Adam is the father of everyone, and then we have Cain and Hevel. Okay, but Hevel is he's gone. He's gone. Okay, yeah. Who were these people that Cain was afraid of? Was only Cain around? Who were they marrying and having children with? Who knows? These are all right. That's why when we say these. Stories are more metaphorical than literally a guy named Cain and a guy named Abel. Was Hevel married and was afraid that his brothers or offspring? Yeah, but then you have to ask the obvious who was he married to? His sister. Yes. That's why, as adults, we all we, we realize that these stories are less a guy named this and a guy named this and a woman named this and more the archetypal story of two brothers who have who have tension between them because they are fighting for the favor of God or the attention of their parents, etc. etc. Right? Yeah. So again, that's a whole separate, right? We could spend an hour on Cain because the question is Hashem hadn't yet given the prohibition of murder, right? He gives that after the flood when he enforces law for the first time, when after the world evolves into chaos and Hashem says, okay, I guess humanity needs law. So pre-law, can he be held accountable in the same way that we can post-law, right? If there's, it's a whole, right? It's sort of a tangent. I want to get to something else because we're looking at the binaries and what we're focusing today on is genealogy. Okay, so we have Cain and Hevel, and Hevel is knocked out of the running. And now let's, let's look at what happens next. Cain moves east, which is, of course, anti-Abraham, right? But also in the, in the direction that all of humanity at this point was going. Right? And we spoke about how the need to build a city comes from the recognition of the evils that humanity is capable of. When you feel vulnerable because you realize that man can kill another man, that's when you start building walls and trying to keep strangers out. So there's a chanoch in his line, and I'm going to put it down 
because this Hanoch is associated with city building, which represents not being able to trust the ethics of the people around you, okay, or the moral compass of the people around you. And then it goes on, So here we get to Lemech. Now, he's a very interesting guy, which we don't pay attention to, and superficially we're going to look at him right now. Now it's going on. Um, and it's listing all of the sort of inventions or the technological advances that humanity sort of brought to the world. Again, if we were studying very sheep in light of the ancient Near Eastern stories of origins, what's fascinating is that in the ancient Near East, all of these things, musical instruments, writing, mathematics, um, tools to till the ground, were all create, invented by who? Does anyone know? Here we have names of people, historical personalities, Yavel and Yuval. The gods. Right. You would have the gods coming up from the waters or the gods coming down from the heavens and revealing the secrets. Because in the ancient Near East, anything super intelligent and super innovative belonged to the realms of the divine. And Tanakh takes a very clear stand on that. Humanity, because Hashem said partner with me in creating the world, is going to be taking part in that. And so it lists all the different things that humanity did, right? It brings the iron, it brings the Choresh Nechosha, Du Barzel, etc., etc. Jump down to verse 23. So now this Lemach character takes his wife, wives, and this is the first in all likelihood poem in all of Tanakh, okay? And we say poem because it has that beautiful literary parallelism. Right, my wives, and he names them, listen to my voice. Which is sort of a repetition, but. Because a man wounded me, and so what did I do? I killed him. And a child bruised me, so I killed him too. Because if Cain is going to be avenged sevenfold, the Lemech Shivim Vishiva. Okay, what? Yeah, what 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 did he just do? What did he misunderstand about God? This is a bastardization, it goes without saying, of the oat that God gave to Cain. Right? God gave to Cain an oat to protect the vulnerable. And what does Lemech do with that oat? How does he misunderstand it and how does he utilize it? Correct. He uses it to, what were you saying? He's inherited the protection. Correct. As if he's immune and he could be as violent. And again, there's something really sick, right, about the yeled l'chaburati. A kid accidentally throws a baseball through his window, so he goes out and kills him, right? That, that's a pretty twisted way of talking about God's divine protection, okay? So Cain's line, and this is why we're looking at it. Cain, the first murderer, has the first city builder. And he has this Lemech character, and Lemech is all about what? Murder and vengeance and brute strength and might makes right and everything that the whole idea of law is meant to protect us against. Okay? He's really, in theory, in, in, in essence, really the anti-law. Okay? Yes. Oh, sure. Okay. We're going to get a bigger board. We're just going to have to get one. Okay, and then if we look a little bit further down, what else do you notice? Okay, um, da, da, da. sorry, we're going to continue down to Pasuk, verse 25. So now Chava has another child. His name is Shait, and again, it's interesting that Shait comes after Cain's line, okay, because now we're not going to hear it when Tanakh. Um, Fast forwards and gives us the whole genealogical descent. That means we're not talking about Cain anymore. We're fast forwarding, we're seeing what he left to the world, and now we're done talking about him. We're going to see the same thing with Yishmael. Okay? And now we're moving back to whose line? Hevel's, essentially, because she has a second, a third child, and it says, Vatele ben Kishat li Elohim zera acher, Tachat Hevel. Kiharago Kayin. And by the way, she is the first to call him a murderer. God himself does not call Kayin a murderer. Chava does, which is another important discussion for a separate time. What is, Shait is now the replacement of Kayin. 
and his name is of Hevel, excuse me, Shatli Elohim Zera Acher. What does that mean? Okay, right. God gave me a child to replace the one I lost to the murderer. Okay, how is that etymology different than Kaniti Ish Et Hashem? And it's going to, and it's significant because, again, the first brother pair is going to be the archetype. It's setting the pattern for all future distinctions between a person and his brothers, so to speak. Okay? Is it natural that she had a child and feels that she and God partnered in this venture? Yeah, of course, right? Because there's nothing more divine or inspiring. In the first passage, she's the subject of the sentence. Here, she is not the subject. She's, she's she receives. Right? Indirect Okay. She, <laughs> in the first one, okay, we are going to be distinguishing now because essentially the etymology between Cain and Shait is going to be the key to all future distinctions between brothers. Cain is natural, okay? Meaning she has a child with God and she experiences it as her having a child and God is involved and they're partnering and there's something very natural about her experience. But what overshadows that with the birth of Shait? Hmm? Loss, loss. Loss, which enables her to appreciate that much more. What? The divine. She's not even, she doesn't even experience herself as involved, or she doesn't articulate herself, like you were saying, object, indirect object. It's, she is the beneficiary of God's generosity or benevolence. Shatli Elohim, God gave me a child. It's almost okay. Lemurite in a sense. It's almost what? Lemurite. Like, this is a substitute. This is instead, it's... it's okay, so it's... Uh, yeah, listen, all that's how brothers worked, right? That's, yes, but there's, uh, that's interesting. Is it I mean, here it's God, because there is no other... You know, right, I wonder, you have to, we have to look up the Pasuk in Ruth. It's sim I wonder if it's, if it's similar. That's very, very interesting. But, um, but in her mind... Okay. So, so you think more of Nomi versus Ruth. Correct, and, correct. And it was a replacement she, for... Right, correct. And Ruth's she's child... And in, 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 um, if you like Ruth, it's Naomi who's given... Correct. Ovid was a replacement for Naomi's loss, 100%. Yeah. Okay, so hold that and let's just go back for one second. There's no difference. Biologically, the exact same process happened the first time around and the third time around. Okay. The focus, though, and this is why mothers naming their children is going to be really, really critical, the focus or the cognizance of God's role vis-a-vis -vis the role of man, right? If we would say the first time around it feels pretty 50-50, here it's 90-10 or 100-0, okay? Even though, in essence, the same thing happened to her body. Why is that important? Go back to the issue we spoke about last class. Think, for example, right, there's lots of parallels for this in terms of the way the Torah presents things. But think about, for example, when Lot chose, right, the area of stone. Why did he choose the area of stone? Because it looked so lush and it looked like Ganeden and it looked beautiful because, and, and, and in contrast to the land of Canaan, which at that point was pretty dry and barren. Right? But we said that it's not a coincidence that the land of Canaan is naturally a land that doesn't have the Nile River overflowing or doesn't, because we are that much more cognizant all the time of not just our dependence on God, right, but what we spoke about two weeks ago, the interplay between God and morality and the land. Okay? That, are, that sort of expresses itself in the natural birth versus the divine birth. And if we're jumping back now to Abraham, one of the things we're going to see is that every, ah, actually, hold on, before we get to Abraham, we're going to see Abraham in 10 seconds. Just go to the end, go to the next parrot very quickly. Sorry, Gail, what's yeah. the etymology of shot? Shot is that God gave me a shot. Is that I have to look up where else it's used. I would have to look up where else it's used. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's actually similar to, sh um, to the root shy, but I would have to look that up. Um, yeah, by a shetlo, right? If you give your hand, by a shetlo, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's used usually more, I think it's not, you probably don't hear it often as shot. It's usually by yoshet or by. Um, okay, let's just 
Look at the end of this parak. Sorry, pasuk uleshet gam huchav. The end of that parak. Uleshet gam hu yulad ben. Vayikra et shmo enosh. Now enosh, of course, is humanity, right? As huchali kro b'shem Hashem. Something changed. Something. There's a before shape and then an after shape. And after the shape, after this cognizance that Chava declares or articulates, now all of a sudden humanity as a whole seems to be in a different place where they're starting to call, there seems to be a change in the nature of the relationship between humanity and God. Okay, I'll give you one other, and again, we're not going to look through the entire list of descendants, but just jump, jump down, we already looked at this character. We said, Cain had his Hanukkah who built a city, there's another Hanukh in these primordial genealogies. Who is it? We spoke about him in the first class when we said, what, are you divine? Are you immortal? What are you? In Parakei, in Pasuk Chofbet, et ha'elohim hitalech right? And then it says that he doesn't actually die. Hashem just gathers him up, and that becomes fodder for Second Temple literature. Okay? So one of the things we see, and there's, well, there's two things we see. One is there's a natural and there's a divine birth. Nothing is actually different in the birth. The difference is the experience. And that experience is somehow seems to impact the lines that come from them. Okay? In Tanakh, there's no such thing as an individual. Individuals are always cool to be the founders of a line. Okay? So now let's go back to Avram for a second, and let's go inside and go back to Perak Yud Zion. Can I okay. just ask one question? Of course. Did I think Yulad and not Nolad? Is there a significance of that? Um, no, I think Yulad is the, is the passive form that's used in genealogies in particular. Um, yeah, because it's a past, there's, I have to remember the exact grammar. There's like past and then is past perfect or something. Yeah, I think it's just because it's not actually happening Nolad in that moment. It's just sort of, and he was born too. Yeah. So it looks like from the Muslim, when you're looking at the story of Lamach, it just, it just sort of drops it in there, but it doesn't seem like it's even a value judgment. Like it doesn't seem like he's, he's wrong necessarily. Really? It's not like saying, and then God said this or God. It's just like, this is what he thought by. I don't know that every time, I think if we used God intervening as a gauge for if something is good or bad, we'd have to be in like big trouble in Tanakh, right? God doesn't step in in the story of Pilagash Begiva either, but we're all pretty clear on the fact that that's a no-no, right? I think, I mean, if you're talking about protect, giving immunity to a murderer so that he is not vulnerable because perhaps he owns up to his sin versus a guy saying, oh, I killed anyone that comes near me, it's, it's pretty clear that it's like a sick thing to do, right? That, so I think that's why I think all of these seem like a bunch of just sort of scattered, random little snippets of things, and that's what we're trying to do is organize it. And what I think is happening here is genealogies that are coming out of the different person. Now again, is it the Kayin, the person that we're talking about, or is it the line of the Kainim that is going to be distinguished from the line of Shet? And down the line, the line right, the line of Kenaan is going to be distinguished from the line of the Semites, right? That's what we're looking at here. It's the stories of these archetypes. Right? That's why all these little scattered stories seem totally disconnected. Right? It seems like one big, but I think it's actually connected in a very, very powerful way. I think that's what it's saying. I think it's saying individuals have stories, and those stories have an impact on their lines. That's, and, that's what we're, and we're looking at the original ones, because now we're going to be looking at the ones that are more specific to us. Right? To understand Avram, we have to look at the, at the original. OK, so go to Parakid Zion, chapter 17. Yeah. yeah. But with with Lemech, I mean, after after he says that, then I just don't remember, and I don't have the Tanakh in front of me. Does it keep going with his descendants, or that's it, or it stops? No, that's it. Okay, so I mean, the fact that it stops talking about descendants after him sort of seems to me like. A value judgment, in a sense. Uh, no, I don't know that we could do that because every you can't, you can, right? The eventually the genealogy stops. I don't know that we could say because it stops here that makes him bad because then we're gonna have trouble when we do that with with other lines, right? I don't know that a line stopping, right? The end of root stops with David Hamelach. It doesn't mean David is a bad guy. Or, okay, Parakuzai. Here we go. Abraham. Now Abraham is born naturally. We don't have any indication, right, that Abraham doesn't have some sort of divine birth. Okay, so 
So what happens in Tanakh when we don't have a divine birth is we have a what? Well, yeah, but if we, if we need the guy to have a divine birth because we like the divine births, what do we have? Rebirth. Who said that? A rebirth. Okay. Go to Parakid Zion, chapter 17 in Breshit. And it says as follows. Right? And this is stuff we've heard already before. And I'm going to right, promise you many, many children. And again, we're going to see nothing is about being a, an individual in history. Avraham is not a, just a patriarch. Patriarch implies what? Correct. The founder of a new way. Okay. We only know Abraham's story because of what comes out of him. He in a vacuum doesn't matter in the same way. And it says, Okay. So this is why do we call this Abraham's rebirth? Because naming happens at birth. Naming in Tanakh stamps the person's fate, so to speak. It says what this, the experience of either the mother or the father was, which gives us a clue into the character or the role this personality is going to play in human history. And so by getting a rename, now he's not just Avram, he's not just some random name, it's Avhamongoyim, he is now reborn, and the charge or the, the function of his life is now known to him and to us. Now let's look at what happens in the rebirth of Abraham. Okay? The first thing is a renaming, which is really just symbolizing that this is a, a turning point in his life. My God is promising, this is not just about you, this is about everyone that comes from you. Vayomer Elohim el Avraham, v'yata et priti tishmor, ata v'zarecha acharecha l'dorotam, zot priti atzer sher tishmur v'inu v'inichem v'inzarecha acharecha himol lachem kol zachar. So what is the first sort of, um, we would say, um, portion, let's argue, of this renaming is... Right? There needs to be a covenant. Abraham's life is going to be gauged by how loyal he is to this covenant. Same for us. Right? We are, our relationship with God is covenantal. It's a suzerain vassal treaty. And if you could stick to that, I will protect you and give you a land, etc., etc. Okay. And then it goes on Pasuk Tet Vav. Which means what? Sarah also is of divine birth. And that's going to be important because there's going to be another binary that's going to come up momentarily between Sarah and Hagar. Okay, so keep in mind that Sarah is named as well. Okay, so that's a beautiful promise. You are being reborn, your wife is being reborn, and she is going to have a child. And Avram's response is what? Vayipol Avram al panav vayitzchak. Vayomer belibo halavim mea shana yuvaled. Vim sarah batishim shana teled. Okay, so the second portion of this promise is the promise of what? Of Yitzchak, which is, right, like you all perfectly just said, it's about continuity. There's no such thing as being an isolated human in history. Okay, but then the third, the birth of Yitzchak, or the herald of Yitzchak's birth, is associated with what? Hmm? Okay, so, but, but let's just talk about the, 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 the first sort of reaction. 
That's why they all laugh. <coughs> it's associated with laughter. Okay, and why do I, why am I making a point about laughter? Why do we know laughter is important? Because they call him Yitzchak, right? <laughs> if it weren't important, that wouldn't be his name. So laughter represents <laughs> what here? Let's talk even just about what uh, laughter okay. is. Hmm? Miracle, disbelief. Okay, this, right, laughter in its most basic, right? And they actually, they have neuropsychologists that study, but then I forgot his name. There was a guy, I just listened to a whole podcast by him over the summer. He studies laughter, right, and what it does to the brain. And it, the most basic, basic reason for laughter is something unexpected, right? That's why it's called a punchline, because the punchline, you think the comedian is going in one direction, and then they say something else. That's funny because it catches you off guard. It sort of defies our normal, rational, logical sort of assumptions that we would be having, and that's, why, and that's also why slapstick humor, right? There's all these different explanations for humor. But in its most basic form in this context, because there's also a spectrum, and we're going to see, Avram and Sarah are going to fall on one portion of the spectrum of why people laugh, and we're going to see someone else is going to be at a different place, okay? And that's not going to be acceptable. Laughter here, Avram gives a reason for his laughter, so it's pretty easy to see why he's laughing. What is he laughing? Where's his laughter coming from? Disbelief. I'm 100. She's 90. You're kidding me? We're going to have a child? Because it doesn't seem, everyone said the word, natural. Yeah. And it, but, but he doesn't bring up the, um, the point of a different pursuit where it says that, um, that, that Sarah was, was missing something, and that's why it would be impossible, even when she was young. Okay, so it does, it does, it does. So let's jump to I mean, a, let's that, jump. That is immediate thing, is it just to talk about the age? Hmm? But age and by all, I mean, the two come hand in hand, right? right? No, Age, I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, the other pursuit said that, that it was another problem. Ah, okay, so excellent. So it did say Sarah was an Akara way back when, right? She was born. But in the ancient world, there were certainly Akaros, right? Leah went through a period of barrenness. It didn't mean she was a barren. Correct, but that's why when she was younger, there could still be hope. Okay, I haven't had children yet, but maybe I'm only, right? But once she passed, once she's now 90 years old, there's nothing natural about it anymore. Yeah. Why is Avram's laughter not castigated So I don't think hers is castigated either. Let's go inside, right? Let's, so let's just, before we're, we're going to, let's just, the laughter here is a notion of disbelief. Jump to the next paragraph where she laughs. I don't think hers is castigated either, by the way. I actually think it's just calling it for what it is because it's an important part of the process. Okay, look in the next paragraph and paragraph very quickly for one second. Okay, if you remember the Malachim come and they tell them the news that Sarah is going, or they tell Abraham the news, and then it says, Pasuk Tet, verse 9, He says, where is your wife? And they say, she's in the Ohel. Okay, now Abraham already heard this, so he's sort of gotten over the shock of the news. Right, that goes back to what you were saying. It could have been initially she wasn't able to conceive, but she was still in theory capable based on what women knew in the ancient world. As long as she was menstruating, she could have a child. Here it's making clear she couldn't even. What? But I thought that the maybe the sign was that something was missing was the total no there's, lots of, no, there's lots of reasons why women can't conceive. A woman can menstruate every month. It's, I mean, that I don't think is... But here it's highlighting how unnatural this whole thing is. Pasuk Yudbet. Vatitzchak Sarah bekirba limor. Achareb loti haitali edna veadoni zaken vayomer Hashem el Avraham. Lama zetzachaka Sarah limor. Ha'afum nam elech vani zakanti. Right, and again, we're not going to get into why did Hashem change and tweak the language. Now, ka'et is also very important, right? Because what does the word ka'et imply? It's not just she's going to have a child, right? Think about the makot, right? So there's all these different natural explanations for the makot, right? There was, a, there was the, the volcano that erupted nearby, and it, so it sent this thick ash, which made it dark. But that's not the point. It's, it's exactly when Hashem said these natural or supernatural phenomena were going to commence, and that's when it happened. And exactly when he said they're going to end, that's when it ended. And that's, in fact, sort of stamps it a miracle. 
right? Because the lines between nature and miracle are very, very thin. We're going to talk about that later on in the semester. Hashem says exactly when I say she's going to have a baby, she's going to have a baby. Vatechachesh Sarah lemor lotzachakti kiareya. Right? No, no, I, I wasn't laughing. I'm just in awe. And Hashem says, no, 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 you laughed. Right? Now, again, he's not, who asked the question? God's not angry, and he's not, all he's doing is saying, no, you did laugh, right? It's hard to believe, and you laugh, and let's make sure, her laughter is part of the process. Why? Why is it important that she laughed? Why does Hashem not want to let that go for us? Because you can only appreciate, right, or, or I'll flip it, I'll say, the more impossible the odds, the more, go back to Cain and Shait, the more you recognize God's hand in it. If Sarah's like, hmm, 90, I can see it, but then he's not a miracle baby, right? He's a miracle baby because she laughed. And when she says, no, no, I wasn't laughing, he says, no, you were. You were laughing because this is crazy. Because an angel is telling you you're about to have a child. See, but Avram wasn't challenged that way. Avram didn't deny it. It didn't. God didn't start and push her. It says, "Vatechachesh Sarah." She said, "No, no, no. I, I wasn't laughing. I was saying, you were." No, she she laughed first, and then God challenged her, and then she techacheshed. Um, so maybe he yeah. did. She seems like she's defensive. First of all, also it says Avram Bilibo, right? Avram laughed inside. She had a heartier laugh. Correct. I could hear it from a Okay, which is a fair argument, right? Meaning she's hearing it from these angels that as far as we know still appear as human beings. And and Avram, whatever the prophetic experience is, which we have no idea what it is or what it felt like or what it looked like, right? But there was something about the prophetic experience that, that was harder, you can argue, to to deny that it right? There's something about getting a prophecy or hearing a prophecy secondhand from Malachim. Right? Yeah? But it seems that she's defensive. So maybe God didn't mean it as reprimand, but she seems to have taken it as reprimand. She's defensive that she laughed. Right, that's what I'm saying. But I don't think Hashem, but there's a different, but again, God isn't, you did laugh and you shouldn't have. He's not, right? He's like, no, no, you laughed. So why does she deny it if she doesn't but laughing comes as a, an instinct without control. Right. And okay. she wants to say, but I'm not, I'm not doubting you. I just, it was my body right. that I laughed. Think, right. Listen, I don't want to get too bogged down. This is, again, we could spend, you know, three hours just on, and why is she in the Ohel, and why are the Malachim there, and why is God talking to her midway in the middle, right? When, why is God acknowledging what she did to Abraham instead of just directing it to her? There's a million, right? We could literally spend hours and hours on this. What I want to do, rather than looking at all of the details, yeah? Just a quick question. There's different types of laughter. I always looked at her as being cynical, like, Abraham, you fell for this. Um, <laughs> listen, it's possible, it's possible, but even cynicism, right, from a 90-year-old woman, I mean, we can understand like, it. Like, you're real, and I think that then she, she buys into it, but at first it's Okay, so hold on. Yes and no. Let's just back up because we are all coming as like descendants of Abraham. God has proven himself numerous times to the Avot and then to us throughout history. Let's rewind. Nothing has been proven to her yet. Right. So there's no reason, right? We are expecting, and this is really important. She's in this God forsaken land. Okay, we're expecting Avraham and Sarah to be as faithful as they will ever be before the learning curve. There's a learning curve in their life. God makes a promise, they take a step. Something seems a little bit unlikely, God proves himself again. Something seems crazy, but then it happens. So Avraham and Sarah become, yes, the first step of Lechacha was critical, but they become faithful Right? Hashem doesn't ask Avram, and again, we're not getting into Akedah Yitzhak. Hashem doesn't ask Avram to do Akedah Yitzhak in Parakid Bet. He asks him to do Akedah Yitzhak in Parakid There's a reason. Right? There is a learning curve here, and for us to expect that Avram and Sarah at this point can be 100%, have 100% faith in a God that has yet to prove himself, 
right? Is is then we're missing the whole point. Right. So if this is the ultimate quick fix. What's the ultimate quick fix? Giving her a baby. Um, quick fix. Quick. It's certainly going to prove right? it. Right. And so now she really believes that they're, you know, they're. Well, not yet. So let's okay. So let's because the milamacha here is tzachak. So hold that. We're going to see, and, and I'll for sure pick it up more after if you want. But let's just look inside. So she has this laughter, but let's just keep reading, because what happens? Sorry, if we jump down, oh, actually, I wanted to read you something, a really cool paragraph that I like, that I found somewhere. Um, just look on your source sheets for one second, and then we're going to see why the etymology of the name continues. So it seems, it's on your source sheets, that first paragraph. So it seems that the character most associated with comic laughter in Genesis is purposefully introduced at the point in the narrative where one's everyday beliefs are most called into question. It is right, there's no, there's no Kriyat Yom Suf yet, okay? It is by no means clear that the audience found it any easier than the modern ones to believe that God could cause an 89-year-old woman to conceive a child by a 99-year-old man. Thus, these authors introduced Isaac and the type of humor associated with his name as a way to suggest to the audience that God often fulfills God's plans by making a mockery of human expectations, which is why Hashem calls it out, right? You expected one thing, and you laughed because that makes sense, because that's natural, so it's important that you laughed. Humor is part of the language of hope that points to a higher order than the one in which we normally live, okay? And for those of you that were in my Megillata Stair course last year, okay, there's a reason Megillata Stair is hilarious and why it's humorous, because the whole idea is we could never imagine that X, Y, and Z, okay? The etymology continues in Parakhaf. Just jump down to chapter 20 very quickly for a second. And it says as follows, okay? Um, actually, we're gonna, uh, okay, I'm going to, no, we're gonna hold on, hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay, yeah, we're going to jump back to one other laughter appears in these prakim. Where is it? What other, la there's another laughter. There's the laughter of Abraham, there's the laughter of Sarah. Okay, so go to Parak Chaf Aleph, chapter 21. Okay, and here we see the laughter again, but in two other contexts. Vaishem Pakadet Sarah Kasher Amar. Right? It's not a coincidence. And then it goes on and it says, what is she, what is Sarah most concerned about? Because Yitzchak represents that clash between nature and faith. Right? His life is all about proving that God can do things that human beings could never possibly imagine. By Amal Hashem et Avram, et cetera, et cetera. Pasuk, um, Vav, verse 6, Vatomer Sarah, Tzchokasali Elohim, Kol Hashumea Yitzachak Li. What does that mean? They'll see also. And they're going to be, right, they're going to laugh again out of, Shock and disbelief, and maybe we're going to see, we're going to see mocking in a second, right? But shock and, yet Yitzchak is not just for us, a miracle baby. Yitzchak is, for the world, a declaration of God's abilities. And then it goes on, and it says in Pasukhet, Vayigdal hayeled, vayigamal, right? When he was weaned, and they would wean in the ancient world at about three or four years old. But that's also when they actually celebrated birth. It's kind of a sad reality, right? They only celebrated the baby once they knew they passed that sort of uh, peak of infant mortality, right? She sees Yishmael doing what? Vatomer Labram Garesha Mahazot Vet Bina Kilo Hirash Benha Mahazot Imbini Imitrak. He cannot inherit with my child because if we think about the spectrum of laughter, there's laughter and disbelief and joy, but then there's also the mocking laughter. And the mocking laughter cannot coexist 
with the laughter that is the ex ex sort of the experience that comes with faith. And Sarah puts her foot down and she declares that Ishmael cannot inherit. Now, again, if we were doing Breshit for the entire semester, we would look at the details of the sort of Avram kicking them out and how the Tanakh feels about her rejection and the sympathy that Hashem has and the intervention there and the bracha that Ishmael gets. They are certainly not the bad people and we don't quite, there's, there's a whole complicated relationship here which we're going to shelf. Okay? What I want to talk about is this issue of her refusing to allow Yishmael to inherit with Yitzchak, bless you, there's something in between those two chapters, and I think that that's really what comes to the fore when we look. There's the birth of Yitzchak. Sorry, there's the prophecy, right? The, the announcement, okay? There's the birth announcement, and then there's the birth. And birth is followed by the rejection of Yishmael. Okay? Now, the question is what's happening here and why? Something happens in between and Chafalif when he's born. What happens in between? Because the. Hmm? Okay, what happens? They go down where? Stoman and Mora are destroyed. We're gonna... What else happens? Because that's almost like a, something happening outside. What happens in Parakhaf? It's going to be tension between Hosea and Hagar. Um, yes, but not that we're told. I mean, we could assume, but we're not told about it. Okay. Parakhaf Pasuk Aleph. Vayisami Sham Avraham. He goes to Grar. Right, here we go again, the wife-sister motif. He takes her, he kidnaps her. Now, Avimelech is not the same as Paro, and the Tanakh is very clear about that. Paro got nigaim instantaneously. Paro bought Sarah before he even took her. Here, who appears to Avimelech in the middle of the night? So he's a Navi, okay? He's worthy of nivuah. He hadn't touched her, right? He hadn't slept with her. And he says, God, are you going to kill me? And the language here, again, if we were comparing Avram to Avimelech, the language is very similar that he uses, that Avram uses when he's protecting stone just one parak ago, right? What Avimelech, this seemingly normal person is saying is, are you going to punish the righteous, right? I didn't do anything. And Avimelech goes on to defend his innocence. Now, is he innocent? <coughs> Yes. A guy came, he's king, the guy came with his sister, and he, yes, should they be taking women? No, okay, but let's go back to the ancient world. They took women. He took this girl, this, excuse me, girl, this woman that seemed not to be married. He didn't do anything wrong. And God appears to him in the middle of the night in a prophecy, and he declares his innocence. And Hashem says what? Look in the psukim. Look at what Hashem says. Vayomer elava elokim bachalom. I know you didn't mean to do it, Avimelech. I know you didn't do it on purpose. That's why I didn't want you to sin with her. And that's why the Midrashim all take the obvious route that what he was punished with here was sterility, right? Or some other form of inability to, to consummate the relationship here. Right? And now you have to give her back. And right? the same Zrizut that Avraham and the same, he wakes up early, and by the way, the opposite of Bilam, right? Bilam also wakes up early. Bilam was the other non-Jewish, non-Israelite prophet, but he gets up for a different reason. He wakes up early and he runs to do this and he gives him back and he apologizes and he gives Sarah Nayim. He tries to sort of compensate for the shame. Avimelech is a good guy. Why is he here in the middle of Parakhaf? <clears throat> What's happening here? We keep reading a little bit further down. Just people say that the father was That what? 
that the father of the child was. Uh, so that's what the Midrashim fill in, right? That's why Duke knows, right? That he looked exactly like Abraham for that purpose. What else? He makes Abraham rich. He makes Abraham rich. He gives him lots of money, and then he goes back, and Sarah has the baby. What happens? What happens to Abimelech down the line? Does anyone remember? Yeah, why? Keep reading a little bit further on. What happens? Why is there a bridge? Jump down to Parakhafalith. It's very interesting. There's this sort of overlapping of stories. We have the birth announcement, okay? And then we have the story of Avimelech, and he's a good guy. And then we have the birth, okay? But then when the birth is over, go down to, sorry, the birth... And then she rejects Ishmael. Okay, which seems a little. Why do we need rejection? Why is rejection necessary? He cannot inherit with Yitzhak. Go down in Parakhaf Aleph to Pasuk Chavbet, verse 22. And now make a, make a brief with me. I want to make a peace treaty with you. Right? Let's make a peace treaty. Good. And they promise and they swear over this Be'er Hamayim. Look at what Avraham says. Avraham was like, sure, I'm going to make a peace treaty with you because you're a good guy, but you're, the members of your household stole something that belongs to me. Now, Avimelech has earned our trust, right? If he says, Lo yadati, we believe him. Okay? Lo yadati. Right? Just like you didn't tell me she's your. How come no one told me? Okay, what's happening here? Why is this random Avimelech sort of in the middle of everything here? We're talking about Avraham being a founder. The promise is not to Avraham, the promise is to Avraham and his descendants. And Yitzchak represents Tzchok. Yitzchak represents the laughter that comes with seeing the most unnatural birth, right? We have the natural and the divine birth. Yitzchak is the epitome of the divine birth, okay? And then Sarah refuses to allow Yishmael to inherit because because his tzchok undermines the tzchok of his name. Okay. And then we have this little Avimelech episode again. Why? It's confirming what? Oh. What's it confirming? How are we going to ensure that they're not just people that are good, but that they are founders of ways? And this is going to take us into the next class next week. Do you have like other people like outside of their group, like recognizing that like the things Abraham does and like like what like how he acts, like they're all divine. Okay, so excellent. And we're gonna talk about that later on when we see how outsiders react to the Avot. That's very, very important because that gives us a different sense of things, right? That's the function, for example, of Bilam. But hold that for one second. What ensures that the way is passed down? Look at Avimelech. Avimelech's a good guy. Why is he the binary or the foil character, so to speak, for Avram? He's also a good guy. He's also moral. He also gets the, the nivuot. He also questions innocent, righteous people suffering. But the difference between Avimelech and Avraham is what? Avimelech has no idea what the people in his household are doing. They're stealing wells, and he says, Lo yadatim, we believe him, and we're not, cast, we're not blaming him, but that's a problem. Okay? He doesn't take responsibility. He doesn't take responsibility. He also, the people in his household are not changed from his experience. The flip side is Yitzchak, and Sarah refusing to allow Yitzchak to, or Yishmael to inherit with Yitzchak because she is what? She's worried about the influence, and she is concerned with what she can. Well, if it's supposed to be a choice between one and the other, then it's not to be shared. But she's inventing this, or in this case, right? She's yeah. saying, look, Kilo Yirah Hashem didn't say kick Ishmael out. She says it. Why? She's concerned with what's going on in her household. Okay. 
because it's not just going to be about the fathers. It is going to be about the interaction between the fathers and the chosen wives, right? And we're calling Sarah chosen because she's the binary from Hagar. Sarah is, Hagar is the outsider from Egypt. Sarah is the, why is she the quintessential insider? What do we find out in the parable of Abimelech? Oh, I said she was my sister because she's actually my half-sister, right? There's nothing closer than a sister. There's the outsider, there's the insider, right? There's the, give me other binaries between Sarah and Hagar. There's the barren and the fertile. There's the divinely born because Sarah is renamed and the natural mother who conceives naturally, relatively good. Right? There's all these binaries created between Sarah. She's the quintessential outsider, right? Okay, so we're gonna we're already seeing that this notion of chosenness is not just about chosenness, it's about chosenness and passing on the way, and it's going to insist on this interplay between the chosen father and the chosen mother. The question obviously arises, and we're going to talk about this next week, as soon as we start seeing the notion of wives, so the fathers are going to start saying, go back to, go back to where I came from. But we, we already decided that there's the inside and then there's the outside. So if we're supposed to be marrying insiders, why are we not? Why are we going all the way back to the outside? Okay, so that's what we're going to have to start talking about next week. The notion of choosing wives, we already see is important because the only thing that distinguishes Avraham from Avimelech in these two little episodes here, we're not talking big picture. What distinguishes Avraham from Avimelech is Avraham's ability to pass on the way and not say, oh, I had no idea what was going on in my household. But that can't happen without Sarah intervening and saying, And so the choosing of wives, fitting wives, is going to be critical for this process of distinction and chosenness. Yeah? I don't know if this is a binary, but don't you think it's kind of laughable that Avimelech wants to take an old lady? Um, yeah. And, and, yeah. I mean, excuse me, ladies. Um, <laughs> You know, it does seem odd, and maybe it's his way of getting into the Abrahamic, you know, he wants to make that. Right, I would take him less. Because why doesn't she laugh? She says, you know what, you know, instead she says, why she laugh? That's interesting, that's interesting. You know, like, um, listen, it is very possible that it's about, you know, again, bartering, you know, the. Right, it would be more of a barter because. Listen, you can, you can also argue, right, and this is based on the parshan, right, this is based on parshan, based on that this in all likelihood could have happened 40 years earlier, which only strengthens our question, and why are we finding out here, right? For all we know, right, this is one of those times where it's almost hard, like you're saying, it's hard to imagine it happened right here, after she just listed how old and, so in all likelihood it could have happened one of the other times, much 40 years earlier, when we know she was beautiful, and, and, but it's told here, because a binary is being created. What? It's a flashback. Perhaps. It could, it could be a flashback, but we, Correct. I think it's, it's a binary because um, one, they both want to have a way of continuing and, and enlarging in the world. So yeah, but Avimelech fails, right? Uh, Avram almost failed when Lot chooses out. Okay, Lot so chose. he almost failed, but it was, he wanted to try it. I mean, but but again, but you're 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 assuming Avimelech didn't try, right? We have to assume Avimelech also wanted a moral household, because he woke up the next morning and he yelled at everyone and he said, "Give her back!" and he made a big stink about it. So right, we, But what's the only difference? Again, just looking structurally between Avram and Avimelech, what does Avram have that Avimelech doesn't? Sarah. Sarah. Right. Avram ends up with Sarah. Avimelech ends up without Sarah. That's the binary. He gets the girl. He gets, well, he gets the she's mother. Special. Right? He gets she's the, special. she's special. <laughs> yeah. So if both the sister and also the Yitzhak and Rastan, like his kids, like, it seems like it's actually like what you said that he has Sarah, but like it doesn't seem like the Avod actually like have any idea what's going to happen. We're going to see with Yitzhak, perhaps that's true, but we're also going to see that with Yaakov and Esau, it's a lot less clear who's the natural and who's the divine. Right? So they're, the whole Viravya Vodsair, well, what does that even mean? Depends where you put the comma, right? We're going to see the divine natural there is much, much, much more. Which is why, by the way, Yitzchak never has a rebirth. Yaakov does. 
Yaakov is renamed Yisrael. Yitzchak is born Yitzchak and he stays Yitzchak. But he's not good at being Why? He's not good at being enough. Well, it depends how you define good at being enough. Right? Like, he really has no idea what's going on. Is that a bad thing? Well, you just said with Ami Malachi, it's not a bad Oh, you're saying within the household. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Um, so wait till we get to that. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll, yeah. There's another usage of Yitzchak is when Yitzchak Mitzachek is with Yes, correct, correct. So and how does that fit into the whole Tzchok business? Um, ah, interesting. How does that fit into the Tzchok? <laughs> what? Well, that's why Chazal read, but when it says Ishmael Mitzachek, they list all those horrible things he was doing because Mitzachek can also mean that from the Yitzchak's script. Meaning they'd say a lot of horrible things Ishmael was doing, right? There's lots of Midrashim on what he was doing there. Um, but in this instance, uh, it seems to be a positive thing. Yeah. And it's a kind of a window. If you it's also a positive thing that protected Rivka. Yes. Yes. What? It's right. Correct. It's it's another. It's the wife sister motif. It's repeated three times. Um, I don't know. That's interesting. It protects her in the end. I know, but it's not immediately apparent how it fits into his. I have to think about that. And Sarah and Abraham's business. Um, unless you can argue, and again, I'm not, I don't know, there, that there's maybe something naive about Yitzchak, that coming with the absolute faith and lack of cynicism comes a naivete, that he was sort of just doing what he was doing with his wife and anyone who could look at, meaning, is there a naivete there that, that he's also being, that, that comes hand in hand? The, that doesn't fall into the definition of humor, then. No, but humor we said has a has a range. Um, yeah, I have to I have to think about if it fits in. I have to think about it. We're gonna get to it next week. I want to, I, I saved some for because it was too long to start. All right, have a great day.